This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, Office Hours Edition going live Tuesdays at 8.30 a.m. Central Standard Time to answer your questions about commercial real estate. If you want to get some one-on-one coaching, you have questions that you just haven't been able to get answered, feel free to jump in live with me on Tuesdays at 8.30 a.m. Central Standard, and I'm happy to cover those. Dukes of Prepper County is saying good morning, Kabbalites, and good morning, Tyler. Uh, Good morning, Dukes. Uh, That's funny. I've actually been thinking... I need to come up with a nickname for my audience. Uh, I see a lot of people on YouTube with nicknames for their audience, and that's one thing that I just haven't gotten around to doing. So if you guys have any uh, good ideas for nicknames uh, around, uh, you know, the commercial real estate audience here on the on the YouTube channel and on the podcast, let me know. I uh, would love to come up with something like that. Uh, MS is saying, good morning, Tyler. How are you doing, buddy? Doing pretty well. Uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a good couple of weeks. Got to... Um, you know, spend some good time with family last week over Thanksgiving. Fortunately, I've got family here in Nashville. I never really left uh, and went too far from the nest. So I had to travel all of 30 minutes down to Brentwood to uh, go enjoy some some turkey and uh, ham with the family. You know, we we started doing a, a fried turkey. I don't know if you guys have ever done fried turkey. I know this has nothing to do with commercial real estate, but fried turkey is a thousand times better than regular turkey. Uh, not a big turkey fan. Uh, but you know, when it comes to, uh, to fried turkey, so much better. Can you say good morning, Tyler at all? Good morning, Kenny. Appreciate you guys joining me. I've got, uh, just got this in the mail, uh, yet yesterday, I guess the DJI mini two SE it's a drone. Uh, my, the drone that I've been using for the last five years to take all of our photos of sites, to do all of our videos, um, and to, you know, like fly roofs and look at, at buildings while we're out there actually inspecting them completely uh i I don't know for whatever reason the the video stopped streaming to my phone like the drone will take off it'll fly i've done the updates i've done everything i could cannot get the video to stream onto my phone when i'm flying it so obviously there's i can't see what i'm what i'm doing so did a bunch of research found the dji mini 2 se really excited to check that out um i'll be uh doing that this week so i'll I'll give you guys a little review on it Uh, i left a link in the description below uh of all the research I've done, it seems like by far the best, um, the best drone that you can really get for real estate, in my opinion, because it's small. It's got 31 minutes of flight time, uh, which really, <laughs> really comes in handy when you're out there trying to shoot a building because, you know, you got to get all the detail shots, you got to get the far away shots, you got to get videos going all around the property. So that was one problem I always have with my DJI Mavic 2 Pro was that it only had like 15, maybe 20 minutes of flight time. And uh, I would have to change the batteries probably three times and it only came with three batteries. So uh, really excited to check this one out. It seems to me like it gets the same photos as everything else. Um, You know, 2700K video, 10 kilometer HD video transmission. I mean, 10 kilometers, I'm never going to be 10 kilometers away from this drone. But it's awesome to see because that was another problem I had with my DJI Mavic 2 Pro was that I would fly it you know, maybe, I don't know, half a mile away and it would start getting a little choppy. Um, so that was a little, little interesting. Um, but yeah, 
the uh, the team has picked up a whole bunch of new listings. So uh, on the brokerage side, so I've got to I got to get to work, get out there and start shooting some uh, some drone footage. Highly recommend having a drone in your arsenal. If you don't, whether you're a broker or real estate investor, it doesn't matter. It'll always come in handy. I mean, I'll just put it this way: we were out on site one time. Uh, this was when I was just a broker, and we uh, we were in a competitive bidding situation. The property had just hit the market. It was an apartment complex. It was a very um, you know, it was a smaller deal, probably 20 to 30 units. So there were a lot of people bidding on it. And the big unknown that everybody had since the property had been abandoned for a little while and the owner wasn't really there to give a lot of input was that uh, the condition of the roof. Well, guess what? I was the only one that brought a drone with me to that showing. And so I got it up on the roof. My client ended up feeling very confident in making an offer and, and we got it in and got it won. So uh, highly recommend having one of those. It makes a huge difference when you are uh, just trying to get deals done, honestly. Let's see. Dukes of Pepper County is saying, do you make videos of you talking to potential clients to hear how you drum up business or close deals, maybe in the paid training? I actually don't. That's one thing that um, I haven't gotten around to doing. I have considered it before, like just you know, filming myself talking to either investors or, you know, potential buying clients on the brokerage side, whatever it is, of course, we'd have to go through and redact a bunch of names and addresses and things like that. And I would certainly be open to adding that to to the course or something like that. Because um, it just makes sense to to hear those kinds of things. I mean, obviously, my brokers get to hear that, right? Because I'm, I'm involved with him on all of these deals. Um, but yeah, I think it just comes down to making sure that we edit it correctly and do the privacy right. But yeah, I mean, I'd certainly be open to it. If that's something that you guys want um, that would be helpful, I mean, just let me know in the comments. Uh, and if and if enough people make that comment, then I'll, I'll get something like that recorded. You guys can hear how I talk to, to prospects, how I talk to my investors, you know, stuff like that would be would be happy to do it. Because um, I think I think it'd be interesting uh, as far as like the paid trading goes when you're when you're, you know, if you're talking about the coaching. Yeah, I mean, those my coaching clients hear how I talk to uh, you know lenders, property managers, brokers, their investors, whatever they need, because I will hop on those phone calls with them. So um, it's a little bit different. It's obviously not recorded, but you know we're doing those live. Kenny is saying cap rate seems creeping up daily on Crexy. Unloading started. I, I I don't know that the the unloading has started quite yet. But I do think that cap rates are starting to creep up. I mean, about a year ago, we were able to negotiate a uh, triple net investment for a client out of California up about 50 or 100 basis points, which at the time was a lot of movement, right? Because, I mean, we hadn't seen cap rates move all that much for a long time. Definitely not up. But it was when interest rates started rising. It was a developer client that really just wanted to sell the building and move on to their next project. And so we were able to negotiate that. That was a year ago. Interest rates have gone up even more since then. And I know the guys uh, on the on the you know single tenant net lease, triple net lease side on my team, they're they're able to get much better deals today. So yes, I think that cap rates are starting to move up. I don't know that a big unload is happening quite yet. Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, Eric Deems. He's with Land Advisors here in Nashville. Um, awesome firm. They specialize only in land sales. That's all they do. And so I was meeting with him, talking to him about some industrial outdoor storage. That's one thing that we're interested in buying a lot of uh, in in 24. And I'll talk about that here in a minute. But, uh, you know, Nashville, and it's probably just Nashville, right? Nashville doesn't have a lot of blood in the water. 
there's not a whole lot of desperation going on here. Um, you know, there's there's certainly like the water's still right. It's not very choppy. There's not a whole lot going on, but there's no blood in the water. You know, maybe a bloody nose here or there, but but nothing crazy. So I'm I'm expecting sometime in the next six to twelve months for there to be an unloading. I think that there's just going to be some sellers that are in a more desperate situation that don't really have any options and they can't refinance because their debt service coverage ratio doesn't work at new interest rates or they just want to get out of the business altogether. So keep an eye out. I think 24 is going to have an amazing amount of opportunities and uh, there's going to be some deals to be had. Dukes is saying that would be amazing. Yeah, let me uh, let me think on it. I, I might I might put that together. I think it'd be helpful um, for for everybody to have because it's you know, he's talking about, uh, you know, my my having those phone calls with potential clients or whatever. I think uh, especially, you know, we'll, we'll try and figure out how I can record those calls. I do have some um, that I have recorded because I've got an AI that jumps into all of my calls now uh, that records everything. It's called Read AI, R-E-A-D dot AI. Highly recommend that program. I use it for all of my coaching clients as well because it comes in, it records the entire conversation, and now it can only jump into Google Meet and zoom and and maybe some other things but it doesn't just like automatically you know whenever you turn your phone on and call somebody um start recording but it's uh, it's pretty nice it provides notes provides key questions it provides a transcript of the whole conversation so it really comes in handy whenever you're putting these things together so then i can provide that training to you know my brokers my team like hey here's how i had a conversation with this person about this and uh, you know that means that they don't have to be live with me on every single phone call to to learn anything. And then also have a record of all the phone calls that I've had, uh, which, you know, look, I mean, real estate is very litigious. Uh, you never know when something's going to happen. I, I wish I'd had it a couple of years ago. I've, I've been in a lawsuit with a, one of my tenants for about a year and a half now, and it's the most frustrating thing in the world. They just decided to stop paying me rent and uh, because they didn't want to build out their space, and now they're suing me. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world, but that's America. Anybody can sue anybody over everything. So, you know, here, here we are. Um, anyway, earlier I mentioned industrial outdoor storage. That is, uh, that is a, a, a uh, you know, asset class that I'm very interested in buying in 24. I'm really looking for uh, lower cost basis cash flow plays that are good covered land plays. And I think an industrial outdoor storage deal is very interesting. You know, you can buy two to 10 plus acres. All you have to do is it really is to to gravel it, fence it in, uh, make sure that you've got some sort of way to denote which spaces are leased to which tenant. And then you just go out. You, uh, well, of course, you're going to have to put lighting and security and stuff like that. But you're not having to build entire buildings, right? So it's, it's very um, minimally intensive. And, you know, you could rent these spaces out for 100 to $200 a month. Now, one thing that you do have to deal with, and this makes it very management intensive, is month to month, typically month to month or, you know, six month leases, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but you start thinking about it. I mean, you get 50 to, you, you probably fit about 30 to 40 trucks on an acre, depending on how it's laid out. I mean, you're talking pretty fair amount of money every month, right? If you're, if you're just charging a hundred dollars a month on 30 trucks, it's three grand. Right. So that's 36000 a year. Your expenses are going to be minimal because you're going to have property taxes, insurance. Your insurance is probably going to be lower because there's no building to replace. It's really just almost liability. Um, and then you're going to have some utilities. That's really it. 
So we're going to be buying some of that in 24. If you're interested in investing with us and partnering with me on some of those deals, feel free to reach out. Go to tylercobble.com slash invest um, to get on that list. Hop on a phone call with me and we can talk about what it looks like to invest in our deals. I'm uh, really looking forward to some of those. I was looking at a 16-acre deal yesterday that I think I could get for about $100,000 an acre, which is tough to beat. You know, you start running the numbers on that. I think industrial outdoor storage really works up to around three or $400,000 an acre, depending on what kind of return you want to get and what your debt structure looks like. Um, so, you know, those deals look good. You just really have to go for a piece of land that's relatively flat. It's already zoned. That'd be ideal, right? You don't really want to go through a rezoning for something that's as small as this. But if the numbers just make sense, of course, you could do that. You want to be closer to interstate access and... You want the ability, uh, ease of access for trucks, right? Because it's going to be a lot of 18-wheelers, going to be a lot of box trucks. You'll probably have some dumpsters and some other things like that that you're going to want to deal with. So there you have it for industrial outdoor storage. I've done a done a video on that um, here recently and uh, highly recommend you go check it out. Ron Rohde, um did a, a story of the deal with us on it, uh, which was great. It was a great story of the deal. And uh, I also had him onto the podcast and interviewed him about investing in industrial outdoor storage. So we've got a lot of content on that asset class. Uh, it's something that started kind of coming up on my radar about a year ago. We had groups out of the Northeast calling us wanting just storage lots. And I was like, why would you want to do that? That sounds like a pain. But then I started really looking into the numbers and realizing what was going on. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, these guys got it right. It's a great cover land plan. So there you have it. Let's see. Let me know what other questions you guys have. Happy to cover any any topics y'all want right now. Uh, it's a it's a pretty interesting time in commercial real estate. Uh, just released a video on Sunday, uh, counting down the top ten markets in the United States for 2024, and and also what you should buy in each of those markets. Like what is doing well, what is doing hot. A couple of things that I noticed: uh, industrial, obviously, and and most of the top ten markets, industrial is doing pretty well. Healthcare, of course, is doing pretty well. Uh, life sciences. That was one that kept coming up. I thought that was pretty interesting. There were some markets where there were zero, zero percent vacancy rates in life sciences, which is pretty hard to believe. It, it's a very specialty type of commercial real estate. It's very difficult to build. It's very expensive to build. And as far as tenants go, there are very few tenants that are going to take that. So they're probably all, if not the majority, are going to be build the suits. But something to keep in mind. Um, as you're going through uh, looking at that kind of stuff. I think, uh, you know, there were some surprises on the list. I had some comments about San Diego being in the top 10. You know, why is San Diego not the next San Francisco? I think that's a great question. You know, it's, uh, San Diego is a very interesting market. I think that the weather there uh, is some of the best in the country. And I think that that contributes a lot. I mean, there are, I have conversations with people that live in San Diego all the time. That I'm like, why would you live in California? The taxes that you pay are crazy. Why not go somewhere else? Like, yeah, that's I get that, but also the lifestyle that I live in San Diego is better than anywhere else uh, I could have in the United States. It's sunny 90% plus of the year, so I get it. You know, it's tough to beat that 70 degree sunny weather. But also, San Diego has a pretty good, um, you know, variety of of um, businesses there, and you're also close to the border. So don't discount that with San Diego. I mean, Mexico is a pretty big trade partner for the United States. 
Um, so, you know, distribution, manufacturing, storage, all of that kind of stuff is, is pretty hot in San Diego. So I think that's pretty much what is contributing to, to San Diego being on the list. Some of the other ones, of course, you had Nashville. Dwayne saying it was great seeing Raleigh, North Carolina on the list. You know, Raleigh's just been crushing it for, for several years now. Um, you had Dallas-Fort Worth, which, which it's just wild to see how much Dallas-Fort Worth has grown. The amount of industrial space, I want to say it's well over a billion square feet of industrial space in Dallas-Fort Worth is insane to me. That is a wild amount of industrial. Rich with Cars is saying, hey, Tyler, when you underwrite these outdoor industrial storage deals, what do you typically assume is vacancy? And at what number do you max out vacancy? Um, I'm not sure what you mean at what number do I max out vacancy. Maybe you could drop into the comments and, and clarify that a little bit. But as far as, you know, underwriting these deals, it, it depends on the market. You know, when I talked with Ron, I mean, he basically underwrote like a 97% occupancy rate, but they were 100% occupied at his site. So there's not very many of them out there. They're high in demand, but it's also one of those one of those markets where it's tough to really assess the demand. So I, when I was underwriting my deal yesterday, I underwrote it at an 80% occupancy rate, which I think is low, but I want to be conservative going into this. I don't want to assume that we're going to hit what Ron hit with 100% occupancy. I just don't know. Um you know, and, and of course, it all comes down to a, a factor of pricing, right? I mean, you know, we might get, you know, 90% occupancy at 175 bucks a month, but we might get 100% occupancy at 150 uh, or 125 So it all just comes down to kind of what you're looking at. And, you know, these are deals that right now I'd probably just, you know, raise cash for, right? Just go out to my investors, say, hey, I need $2 million. Let's go pay cash for this. Let's sit on it for a little while. Uh, let's just cash flow it because I think that we could get 10, 12, 14% cash on cash returns if we did it right. And we wouldn't have to have any debt. Wouldn't have to worry about dealing with banks right now. We could always refinance it later once it's up, stabilized and cash flowing. And then we'll actually get paid for the amount of work that we're putting into it. Uh, Rich is saying, what number is vacancy when you hit stabilization? Um, I would say you know, probably 5%, probably 5% once you hit stabilization. But you know, I, I I don't know. It really depends on on the deal. So I'd have to really dig into that. Dukes Dukes is saying I'm very excited to see that Seattle made the list. Yeah, that was another one that I got some comments on. Like, why is Seattle in the top ten? Well, Seattle's very interesting. I know that it's very expensive. It's obviously in the Pacific Northwest, but their tech sector hasn't gotten hit as hard as San Francisco's, which is really interesting to think about when it comes to the office asset class. You know, Seattle. Uh, was struggling there for a little bit with work from home, but it doesn't seem like that's as big of an issue now as it is compared to, like, relative to other cities. San Francisco, oh my gosh, I think everybody there is working from home. But it's not the case in Seattle, and you've got some really big headquarters there that are having people come into the office. So, um, you know, Seattle, and Seattle's just growing. It's growing a lot. And you also have to think, when Canada told, you know, foreign investors they could no longer buy real estate in the country, Seattle was the next best thing right there just south of the border, right? Because Vancouver had an issue where a lot of Chinese billionaires were buying a lot of real estate in the Vancouver, BC area. And it was causing issues with their housing, costs of real estate, et cetera. And so they just put a, a, a freeze on it, uh, which is pretty interesting. George is saying, looking to lease a commercial space for a wine bar, what are some thought processes and beforehand research to make sure I choose the right space? Good question. I actually leased a space to a wine bar 
gosh, I guess it was a couple of years ago now. Um, so very familiar with going through that process. Uh, as far as, you know, wine bars go, I think one, you got to figure out what kind of wine bar you're going to be. Um, are you going to be a very high-end wine bar or are you going to be more of the neighborhood approachable wine bar? The one that we leased to had a great thesis, which was we want to be the wine bar that all of the moms that are walking in the area stop in with their friends to, uh, you know, have a little happy hour, right? Because they're in the, in the area that we leased to them, there were a lot of moms that would walk, you know, their kids, push strollers around, you know, three, four o'clock in the day. So um, they went for cheaper wine and, you know, okay appetizers. I think that if they had gone with more of a, um, I, like, I like the thesis around the 5 to $10 glass wine, but I think you got to have high-end appetizers um, or high-end tapas to go with that. Um, to make it really work well and to keep people there and to, to uh, you know, really drive up those taps, right? Because you're you're going to make your your margins on that second and third glass of wine. So I think that uh, if, if that's the route you're going to go, then do that. I think if uh, you're going for more of a high-end thing, just make sure you're in a high-end area. So look into the demographics, uh, figure out what the disposable income is of the residents in that area. Look at a one, three, five-mile radius figure out how many households are there, um, do some research on some other wine bars that are in the area to see, you know, what they're serving, what you think you could improve upon. I mean, I would just go sit in those wine bars and and experience it and see what it is like um, having wine there and see what you could improve upon. Um, let's see, George is saying it's a self-serving wine bar. That's interesting. I haven't seen that before. I've seen some self-serving, uh, like, beer um like bars, I guess. I mean, there's there's one here in Nashville where you just kind of swipe your card. I guess they ID you at the front. I don't really know how that works. Swipe your ID or swipe your card, and and it just dispenses the right amount of, of beer for you. It's actually pretty nice and convenient. Um, let's see. George is asking, will it, with the wine bar, will it require a grease trap for stacks? Uh, it depends on your local area, probably. Um, almost every food concept in Nashville requires a grease trap, even if you don't even really have snacks, um, because they want you, you know, you're going to have, if you've got mixed drinks, you're going to have some milk in some of those. And, you know, if you have snacks, there's going to be some sort of grease that goes with it. At, at a minimum, you're probably going to have to have an undercounter grease trap. Um, but you know, I, I would assume, uh, I, I, I wouldn't assume I would call your, your, your local zoning and codes and figure out exactly what you're going to need. Let's see. Dukes is saying generally 90 to 95% is what winners look for. A dead service coverage ratio is a big factor. Talking about industrial outdoor storage. Yeah, I would agree. That's that's typically what you want to aim for um, whenever you're doing your underwriting. Michael, how and where would you advertise these iOS spaces available? That's a good question. Um, one, I would put a giant sign out front. Um, two, I would probably send out a flyer to every business within a you know five ten mile radius that has a fleet of vehicles how would you find that well i'd probably just you know go through and, and sort it based on the type of business that they are and think through you know who's going to have a fleet of vehicles you got contractors you've got uh delivery companies you've got you know i mean even overflow parking for um for car dealerships is a big thing right so you got to think through all of those things I would, I would post it on Craigslist, LoopNet, Facebook Marketplace. You'd be amazed at the amount of clients that you can get through 
marketplaces like that, especially for an asset class like this. I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of in, investors and I guess brokers too really underestimate the power of Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. A lot of those clients that you're you want to have leasing your space are on those platforms. So go and use them. I mean, back when I first got started as a broker, I was I was posting on Craigslist every day. You know, just updating our listings, making them look nicer, changing out the titles, seeing what worked. And we got a lot of really good tenants off of Craigslist. Um, you know, of course, that was 10 years ago. So who knows how effective that would be today. I would imagine it's still probably pretty effective. And all you have to do is copy and paste whatever your listing is. Um, but get a Google uh, business uh, listing, right? You know, when you search a business on Google and they've got that little page on the side that says call directions, whatever, get one of those. I mean, there's a lot of commercial buildings, commercial properties in general that don't do that. And it blows my mind because it's a very easy way for you to, uh, direct traffic there. Right. So just do, you know, Davidson County industrial outdoor storage or Davidson County vehicle storage, something like that. Cause if somebody goes and searches, you know, vehicle storage, Davidson County or vehicle storage, Nashville, you're going to be the first thing that pops up and you're going to have a Google My Business uh, listing. So be a great way for you to go uh, find some tenants there. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of potential with industrial outdoor storage. I like it. Uh, you could always build flex space there in the future or do something to that extent, you know, which is always, always nice. I just like it as a covered land play. I'm a big covered land play guy. Anything that you can buy that covers itself that in five or 10 years from now is going to have significantly more potential and what it's being used for, I'm all for it. Even if it's break even today, because, or you know, hopefully you're doing a little more than break even. But even if it's breaking even, in five or ten years, you know, maybe you can get it rezoned. Maybe you can build a much bigger building on it. Maybe there's some, you know a story to be told to another developer to where you can get a higher price out of it. I think it's it just makes all the sense in the world. Nora's saying, is it good for a real estate investor to have compounding interest? And can you explain what compounding interest is on the investor end? Um, I'm trying to, so Noor, can you give me a little more context on, on what the compounding interest is coming from? Is, is the investor paying their lender compounding interest? Is this an LP investor that is getting compounding interest from their, you know, from a syndication that they've invested in? Because it all depends. I mean, compounding interest is just interest that compounds daily, right? So, you know, every day that goes by, the interest is calculated on the previous day or that day's balance. Instead of, you know, like annual percentage, which is just, you know, hey, here's you're getting four and a half percent on your money every year. Compounding interest adds up a lot faster because it's it's compounding, right? It's not simple interest where, um, you know, the, the, the new balance is calculated daily. Um, so I'm trying to understand what what context that might be in. It's it's not very common for a an, an investor in a syndication to have count compounding interest on on their uh, investment. Um, you could sometimes see that at a bank. It's pretty rare. Um, but I haven't seen it in, in quite some time. I would stay away from it. If, if I was having to pay it, I would stay away from compounding interest because there's way too many banks that are willing to take, you know, simple interest, um, without having to deal with that. And it just adds up quickly, but you know, banks are finicky right now. You never know what you're going to get whenever you go to a bank. So who knows what they're charging? Um, that's why when I'm looking at industrial outdoor storage, I want to do, you know, I want to pay all cash. Like, let's just pay cash. I'll give my investors a 9% preferred return 
and you know we can pay cash and and not deal with a bank. I'd rather pay my investors that money than a bank anyway. Uh, but it all it all just comes down to the deal. If if we could raise cash for every single deal and and it would make financial sense, I would do that one hundred percent. Makes your life so much easier. Gives you so much more flexibility in the long run as to what you want to do with the with the property. Um, I did have a question that came in offline. Let's see. It was I just had a question about leasing a small commercial space I intend to use for a private tattoo parlor. I only need a space that's around 300 to 500 square feet, and I'm wondering, is there a possibility of using an office setting? Uh, yes. So I have actually leased in, in my office building. I've got two tattoo shops. Um, I'm very picky about the type of tattoo shops that I will put into an office building. They have to be high-end. I have to inspect their brand before. And they have to be appointment only. No signage on the building. It's got to be very high. You know, it's just like a, I treat it like a med spa, right? Like you're, you have a high-end clientele if you're appointment only. And we're not doing walk-ins. We're not doing any of that kind of stuff. So works out really well. Uh, I've enjoyed it. They're great tenants. I mean, you got to worry about people smoking pot outside, which is wild. Like, why would you smoke weed? Not that I have any, any problems against that, but why would you smoke weed before you go give a tattoo? That seems so crazy to me. Tim is saying, what are your thoughts on investing in marinas? 5,100 dock slips based in Jackson, Florida. I like marinas. There's very few of them out there. Uh, it's, it's an interesting play. It's a very unique market. Uh, but I did almost buy a marina in Knoxville a few years back. Uh, I do I do like that as an asset class. You just got to do your research. Uh, Nora is saying, thank you. I was talking about an investor paying its lender. Stay away. Do not pay compounding interest to your lender. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Rich is saying, would you purchase an existing iOS, that's industrial outdoor storage, that's already operating? Uh, I would. I mean, if I could get a good enough cap rate on it and there was a story to be told, then then absolutely uh, I would do it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It'd make it a lot easier on me for sure. All right. Here's our last question. Dwayne is saying, wouldn't there be a noise issue? How do you control any noise concerns that could come up? Uh, I'm trying to think of what question that would be. Uh, maybe maybe he's talking about industrial outdoor storage. Uh, there shouldn't be any noises, right? You've just got vehicles coming and going, so there shouldn't be anything too crazy on industrial outdoor storage. But that, uh, oh, maybe maybe he's talking about the tattoo shop. Uh, there could be issues with noise in a tattoo shop. You just got to make sure they're not playing music too loud. But you can't hear those tattoo machines um, outside of the room that they're being used at. I mean, trust me, I've got a whole bunch of tattoos, and and it's it's really not all that loud. So I would just make sure that you you control that in the lease. You know, of course, we have uh, lease clauses at state. You know, you can't have you know any disturbance uh, of the space. So, if if a tenant near, nearby is complaining about how much noise is coming from a tattoo shop or what the smells are or whatever, then we can go in there and address that and and deal with it. But that is it for today's office hours. Join me next week, Tuesday at eight thirty a.m. Central Standard Time. We'll dive more into your questions. Appreciate you all joining me, and we'll see you next time. This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com.